if you play golf, you are more likely to get blisters in athlete's foot than if you don't. But you are 30% less likely to die early. You're 40% less likely to have a heart attack or stroke. You're much less likely to get uh, breast cancer, bowel cancer, and 40 other major chronic diseases. The CPG Masterclass Series. Find out more at cp.golf forward slash masterclass. To get things started uh, today, I think obviously it's very topical uh, and very pertinent that we can be joined by uh, Dr. Roger Hawkes and Dr. Andrew Murray. I've been pretty close with these guys for, for quite a while. In fact, uh, I've been a board member of the Golf and Health Project from its start, and it started really, and, and Roger, I'm sure you can uh, hopefully remember it, we were sat at breakfast at Glen Eagles, uh, very fortunately during the 2014 Ryder Cup, when, uh, and I was with my wife, and you said to me, did you know that if you play nine holes twice a week, it will do wonders for your health? Uh, and I said, could you say that a bit louder and say 18 holes twice a week, please, Roger? And uh, um, I haven't quite managed to uphold that, but it's been great to be involved in the, in the Golf and Health Project. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to, to you and Andrew. You're obviously the good-looking one, Roger, because Andrew is only, only by sound rather than picture, but we know, Andrew, you're just as good-looking. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to the next 30 minutes or so. So, Roger and Andrew, thank you. Thank you, Ian. And as you say, the Golf and Health Project has taken a bit of a back step recently, but um, we were looking at the biggest public health problem in the world at the time, inactivity, uh, and, and showing how golf could play a part in that. Uh, and then suddenly we have a, a very much bigger problem, uh, COVID-19. But fortunately, I think we, we got close, quite close to the World Health Organization. They were very interested in our work. Indeed, Andrew Murray is, uh, has, has got a role within the World Health Organization as a result, I think, mainly because of the, uh, the PhD and the work he'd done on inactivity uh, on the Golf and Health Project. Uh, and so when COVID came along, I think we were in a good position to actually play a part, to make some statements and to help golf sort of organize itself uh, in these difficult times. Andrew, have I set that up right or um, anything else to add? A hundred percent, Roger, and what a fantastic honour it is to be on this podcast. The CPG have been absolutes in golf and health over the years, so thanks a million to Aston, to Ian, and to Tom for the leadership roles on that, and to everyone on this call. We can all share the health benefits of golf. We can talk about longevity benefits, the physical health benefits that you get from playing golf, and also the mental health and well-being benefits that we get, particularly when we hit good shots, which is less often than not for me. And again, Roger Hawks is the godfather of golf and health, been working in this industry for a good period of time, uh, my inspiration in terms of getting into this specific role. And Roger is much too modest to go through all his various qualifications, but is the executive director of golf and health with the World Golf Foundation and leads the project, is the former chief medical officer of the European Tour and the European Tour Performance Institute and Ryder Cup Europe, and is the medical director for... Uh, EDGA, European Disabled Golf Association. So many important and varied roles within golf and health. Myself, I work currently as the Chief Medical Officer for the European Tour, uh, the European Tour Performance Institute and uh, Ryder Cup Europe, so just responsible for our worldwide operations and research programme. I also used to work full-time in public health policy with the Scottish Government, so dealing with issues and the health benefits of specific sports 
recognizing that regular physical activity is one of the best things that you can do for your health. Five million people die every year due to a lack of exercise, a lack of physical activity, a lack of golf even perhaps. So COVID certainly gives us extremely troubling times, but regular physical activity is one of the best things that you can do for your health. And we'll share that message with you. Um, I have also done some work promoting the World Health Organization's Global Action Plan for Physical Activity. We're also just working out how we respond to COVID in terms of national policy, what we do in terms of for each sport and for how we'd uh, maximize the benefits of the sport, but also minimize risks with the challenges we face at present. So what about COVID? Thumbs up for COVID or thumbs down for COVID? I'm not seeing much love for it. And the two main issues with COVID really are is that it spreads very easily in combination with it being much worse than, for example, the flu. So it's something that spreads easily and is you know, being very contagious and the impact of it can be strong. So although most people experience a mild illness, it can cause serious illness or even death in some, particularly, but not limited to older adults and those with underlying heart or lung issues, diabetes, high blood pressure, etc. And at present in the European tour and also just in general, for our staff, for our players, really protecting their health and well-being really does remain the key priority. We're promoting you know, adherence to the World Health Organization guidelines and also national government and public health guidelines. Because speaking to chief medical officers and government this morning, they recognize the sound effect these decisions are making. They're looking to try and prioritize the saving of lives as well as recognizing that it's important to get the economy going, that it's important to get open spaces, the opportunity for folk to be physically active, the importance of golf and these sports, etc. Essentially, really enhanced standards of hygiene, hand washing, social distancing, working from home where able. If your government are telling us to stay at home, that's stuff that we must do at present. And also some other quick wins. You're significantly less likely to get ill if you sleep eight hours compared to five. We know from other viruses, if you sleep for eight hours, you're three times less likely to get ill than if you sleep for five hours. We don't have the detail for COVID. But certainly getting a decent night's sleep and eating well, so plenty of fresh fruit and vegetables. Anything that's colourful is really good for you, except for Haribo and Skittles. But fresh fruit and vegetables is a good way of staying well. And seeking treatment where appropriate as well. And COVID really has spread globally. It's been labelled by the World Health Organisation as pandemic. And unfortunately, the coming weeks and months will continue to see an escalation in cases, an escalation in loss of life, an economic consequence. There's no doubt about that. And all we can do really is to mitigate it and work hard to make sure we're ready to put the things in place that can limit the disease, but also help us get back up and running as soon as it's safe and feasible to do so. COVID cases and deaths have increased worldwide by more than a factor of 10 in the last month, and I think that just sh shares how contagious this issue is. And Europe and North America are the current centre of the epidemic at present. Cases are likely to decrease or drop off, but not get back to normal at some point during the summer. And you may well see a release of some of the lockdown and some of the travel restrictions, some of the social distancing measures, getting people back into school, getting people back into work, getting people back into healthy outdoor exercise, including golf. But we're not likely to get completely back into normal in 2020. So there will always be a degree of restriction in 2020 and indeed probably for some part of early 2021 as well but it's not likely that we're going to be subject to complete lockdown during that time. So things will continue to be difficult for some time. We can't just carry on like it's 2019, and there will clearly be lasting effects for health systems and to economic uh, systems and also to sports businesses.
But what the governments are really looking to achieve with this lockdown, they're not doing it you know, for malice or they're not doing it to be heavy handed. It's really to try and save lives. But what they're putting in place in terms of the lockdown and heavy restrictions is not by itself an exit strategy, but rather to buy time, allowing people to have the time to buy more ventilators, to adequately upscale staff and hospital capacity, to be able to cope better with future outbreaks and when you know the numbers are coming through. Also, if they set up proper testing, so unlimited testing, so it can be done by everyone that needs one, and a system of tracing and following up all that get COVID, then essentially many of these restrictions can be lightened and that we're not going to be subject to the extent of the shutdown that we have in three quarters of the world right now. This may well allow golf courses to open up. It's probably likely that golf courses will open up before people are allowed into the clubhouses and you know, the eating spaces are opened up. So outdoor exercise with appropriate social distancing will come back in before you know, everything else. And it might be, for example, that golf tournaments like the European Tour get back up and running as soon as it's safe to do so, but probably behind closed doors in the first instance. And really the exit strategy is working to get you know, the health system set up, testing and contact tracing to be available, and also a vaccine or an effective treatment when that comes in the market. The vaccine and effective treatment will be some time off, probably 12 to 18 months, but we can do this other stuff in the background. And the World Health Organization have called for CAM. They fully recognize the benefits of physical activity. They have a Be Active campaign on at present, encouraging people to be active at home, encouraging folk to take exercise within national guidelines. So in the UK, currently we can get out for around an hour to walk, to cycle, or to do other things. Not yet golf, but hopefully that shall come. But we really do need to plan for it. You know, as golf professionals, as medical doctors, whatever our role in life, this is going to have an impact on us for 2021 and specifically really for 2020. And there's some really good guidance from the CPG. There's some really good guidance from many of the national federations. And I'd urge us all to, you know, try and share examples of good practice, what works, what are the simple wins. For example, people perhaps getting changed and just going straight out in the golf course rather than using the indoor facilities the flagstick staying in rather than everyone having to hand, handle the same flagstick, perhaps playing in smaller numbers rather than necessarily being four balls, etc. So there's many things that can be done. And again, I'd urge you to go onto a national federation and to look at the sort of stuff that's been produced. England Golf, Scotland Golf have done a good job on this. But I suppose on to lighter matters. As Roger says, you know, golf can be a matter of life and death. You can live longer because you play golf. There are significant physical health benefits there. And I'll hand over to Roger to talk a bit more about golf and health and the project and some of the things that we've been looking at. No, well, I, I think just picking up on that and, and keeping on the COVID, COVID mes, mes, messaging at the moment, I, I think there's the, 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 in my life when people have come to me, they've said, I've played football all my life. I don't need to do any more exercise. Uh, and, and the fact is you lose most of the benefits of, of being active as soon as you stop being active. So I think this is something that's really important for, for members of clubs, our clubs that we perhaps have some influence over, is to keep them actually moving and going. Uh, and there's plenty of um, examples of good practice that, that we can point people to. But I think just, just saying, I know you've been active playing golf. I, I know that there are health benefits of golf, but you, you're losing them as soon as you stop, stop doing those things. I think there's a real risk of people coming out from from the uh, from, from this restriction, um, getting on the golf course uh, without any warm up, and we know that seven minutes of warm up um, reduces significantly the injury rate. But they'll get straight on there, and uh, there'll be a high, high number that don't play the next day or the or, or the next week. 
So, as t- you know, it, it perhaps is important that people do carry on swinging the golf club in, in the garden if they, if they can do so. More broadly, on on the on the on the project, um, I, I I never thought we would get, be in a position where we had to sort of uh, play second fiddle to uh, to a much more severe problem than than inactivity. But you know, most people now seem seem to have uh, got some some notion of it. I, it came about because I always felt that people who didn't play golf had a very poor notion of of, of golf. And in theory, you could extrapolate the data and show that that there was certainly benefits. Uh, both on the physical side um, on, and, and on, the, on the mental side. And we know that there's a little bit of evidence that being in an open space and in green environment is, is beneficial as well. But no one actually um, looked at it uh, and no one actually put the evidence together, uh, got it peer-reviewed. Uh, and I'm pleased to say that once we got the money f- for the funding to the World Golf Foundation, set up a board, we were able to appoint Andrew as the PhD uh, at Edinburgh University, and uh, we were able to, to do a review of all the evidence that, uh, that was there. This evidence was published in the leading international journal uh, and is now pretty well accepted. But it's all well and good sort of saying it, to get the message out there. And uh, since then, we've done quite a lot of work actually doing that, um, including uh, an international consensus meeting in London where leaders in health, the World, World Health Organization, leaders in golf, came together to, to declare the, 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 these benefits as being true. And since then, we've looked at the impact of, of, of that work, of the work that's being done. More, in, more recently and more interestingly, I think now, we, we, we know that golf is health-enhancing physical, physical activity. And there's opportunities for groups that, are, that traditionally haven't played golf, people with disability. And the golf club environment we know is, is very good for people with dementia. We know that a large number of people in our golf clubs do get dementia, 30 or 40 perhaps at any one time. And just on pure commercial reasons, if you lose those people, you, you, you know, they're, they're actually lost to the game if, if you don't encourage them. Uh, and the golf club environment with that banter, with the relationships, with the opportunity to get out and, and hit a ball, even if you don't play a full round of golf, have been recognized by a number of groups around the world. Uh, and at the present time, we're trying to bring that sort of group together and study them uh, so that we can give a, um, a template for how golf clubs perhaps could to interact with people with, with these type of disabilities. Also Parkinson's disease, but quite a number of things to, to encourage the, the use of the of the golf club environment. And there's, there's plenty of time, I think, within golf clubs to actually do that. Uh, and indeed, in, 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 the, in the UK and, and in some other countries, uh, we're actually running courses at golf clubs. Instead of send it, sending people with, with odd conditions like high blood pressure, diabetes, se- instead of sending them to the gyms, uh, which is quite an alien environment for older people, um, to actually send them to golf clubs and to do a golf introductory course over 12 weeks. We know that if they stay and play golf forever, that they're going to get benefits. We've, we've also shown in some work in, in California, some work in, in Southampton, that they get actual benefits during the, 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 those periods. Um, and, include, and, and, and indeed, they get better strength and balance. And we're going to publish some work uh, in the next few months, which show that uh, the golfers probably do develop strength and balance, which probably reduces their chances of falling. And I know chances of falling doesn't mean much to us, but to, to health policymakers, that means big savings. That means improved health. And, uh, I think we've got an opportunity while, while we're out with COVID to look at opportunities within golf clubs, within the golf industry, to bring people in 
these other people in, uh, both for commercial, but also for, for, for reasons of, of health benefit. Roger, that's absolutely true. And, you know, there is one bit of further bad news for today. If you play golf, you are more likely to get blisters an athlete's foot than if you don't. But you are 30% less likely to die early. You're 40% less likely to have a heart attack or stroke. You're much less likely to get uh, breast cancer, bowel cancer, and 40 other major chronic diseases. So is that good for you from a physical health perspective? And also, Regular physical activity, i.e. golf, has profound benefits for mental health and well-being. 30 to 40% less likely to get dementia, as Roger says. 30 to 40% less likely to get depression, anxiety, stress, adjustment disorder, many of the things that cause misery and disability for all of us right over the world. So you guys are actually saving lives by helping people get into golf and retaining folk in golf. It's making that big a difference. You're probably making equally as big a difference as many of the health professionals are getting lauded for the difference that they're making with COVID. Everyone's doing their job in terms of trying to make the world a better place. And golf professionals are an absolute key part in helping people be healthier, be happier, and to live longer. And I guess, you know, a number of us have got children. I've got children that are six, three, and just over one. And what is the single best present we could give them? You know, think of an amazing present that you've given your kids or that you've given a a nephew or a cousin or someone. But if you get someone from being a couch potato to being regularly physically active, they'll actually get better marks at school. They'll achieve more through life. They'll live longer. They'll be happier and they'll be healthier. So that stuff that you guys are doing as, health, uh, as, as golf professionals, it's stuff we're looking to help as health professionals, getting people into physical activity, getting people into sport, because it makes that bigger difference. And that is the stat from the, the Lancet. You know, 10 people each year die having been eaten by a shark. 250,000 people die due to malaria and issues to do with mosquitoes. But actually beware of the chair. The couch is the killer. You know, if you go and are regularly physically active and play golf, it's likely you'll live five years longer. You're doing yourself a significant benefit. And the other thing that's unique about golf is actually even watching it. So coming to a European Tour tournament, a PGA tournament, an RNA tournament, and, it, you know, at the PGA Tour, the RNA have been absolute leaders in this stuff as well, promoting golf and health. European Tour and the RNA, all of their tournaments are talking about the health benefits of spectating. Because the average spectator is not going to beat Rory at golf, but they might get more than 10,000 steps. The average spectator takes 11,500 steps. So even watching golf can have significant health benefits. So I think that's it. You know, once this COVID stuff settles down, we can talk loudly about the health benefits of the sport. All the fine work that Rogers coordinated, that Ian and him chatted about at Glen Eagles in 2014. And we've absolutely got your back on that, Ian. I think two times per week has enormous benefits, but if you can actually play three times a week, that'd be even more beneficial to your health. I mean, I think this gives a great opportunity for, for your new organisation, Ian, to, to actually get out there and, and, and to, to improve the sort of education in, in PGA pros so that people with disability with di disability groups that are quite difficult to deal with unless you're dealing with them on a regular basis. I think there's a great opportunity, a business opportunity, but also an opportunity to, to show that golf is the most inclusive sport. I th never thought I would be able to say that, but golf has the opportunity of being the most inclusive sport. We've already got uh, people with disability playing on European tour events but if we can get those people with disability playing in golf clubs, I think we, 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 will have, um, we will have done everything. And just to share some, uh, some links, 
So www.golfandhealth.org. Aston and Tom have put together a fantastic website there that has all the resources you might need in terms of golf and health. Tells you about some of the benefits, how we can promote this, assets that we can share, uh, put up on notice boards, share with our membership by email, communication, etc. www.golfandhealth.org is a fantastic resource. And again, Golf and Health at Twitter uh, shares much of the information as well. Please do interact on these forums also. Roger highlighted Edgar, and that's, you know, it's so positive that golf is showing itself as really inclusive, because again, from a policymaker perspective, golf is a sport that can be played by all of society, by people that are three, by people that are 103, you know, golf is something that can give back to absolutely everybody. The Golf and Health website, Edgar Sites, and the CPG, again, is a site that the, up, the upcoming webinars look absolutely fantastic, can certainly encourage, uh, I'll be joining a number of them, really. Uh, but there's some really good other content in the CPG website. Yes, and just on the Golf and Health website, we've also, um, be, before before in the UK, we, we, we had the sort of the lockdown, really. Um, we made some suggestions for golf clubs, and I, I know that uh, that was widely uh, shared and other people came to the same conclusion. But I think we have an opportunity as the um, social distancing and, 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 and stuff starts to be to, to, to be withdrawn uh, for golf to, to actually be one of the early sports to, that can be resumed um, in, in a sort of modified version. But there's also links there to the World Health Organization and to the regular updates there are on COVID if, if you need any regular updates uh, from an authoritative um, uh, organization. There's quite a lot of misinformation out there, but the WHO and the links that we've got on the site do actually... Um, uh, will be useful and, and do provide good information on a daily basis. Just in terms of the questions that are coming in, a great question and reflection. So Ian sharing that CPG will be sharing various guidelines for our member PGAs with regards to safe golf and safe coaching for use in lobbying governments and putting into action when the time is right. What are the key things that must be included in this? I think, you know, the first thing is to recognize that there are huge amounts of benefits from golf. So recognizing that there may be some risks from COVID, but it's about giving people overall benefit rather than overall risk. So highlighting perhaps some of the golf and health resources and sharing the fact that golf has got significant physical, mental, emotional and longevity benefits for all of society. I think also highlighting that it's an outdoor form of exercise and showing that everything is being done that's possible to mitigate risk. So taking the resources from CPG or from each uh, golf club and just highlighting exactly what has been done to mitigate risk. So showing clearly that there are significant benefits and that the risk from COVID is being mitigated and it is an outdoor sport that can be done, uh, minimizing many of the risks that might be associated with it. Excellent. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, if anyone else has any questions, then please feel free to put them into the chat uh, area. I can see uh, one here from MC Cortina. Have you done studying on golf yes. with children with yeah. autism and ADHD? Interestingly, um, when, I, when I became the uh, director of eligibility for EDGAR, uh, there was uh, quite a lobby, particularly from, from the Northern European countries, that, that we weren't including people with autism who have great difficulty rolling up to a golf club and saying, I want to play golf. Um, and that's, that's an issue. They also, uh, golf is, is also quite a good sport for people with autism because tackling and, and some of the sort of physical contact uh, they don't particularly like. Um, Ernie Ells has obviously done quite a lot of work uh, and I've made contact with a, a group in, in Ireland that, uh, that, that are using autism and, um, 
uh, um, we now have um, autism as as uh, as an eligible condition for people playing um, golf golf with disability. We actually haven't done any work with autism, but we are recognising it recently, and we've got a number of groups that that are that are contributing to our to our work uh, on autism, and I'm sure we should be making more of that as time goes on. To say, I think Roger's absolutely right. This is an area that's of interest. There are some useful case studies that look at children with autism and ADHD and a range of other conditions. And if you have got any examples of projects that are happening at Pleasant, please do, please do direct them to Golf yeah. and Health and Roger in particular. Yeah. Uh, a good point from uh, Alvaro there about golf being good for tourism recovery, as in when golf gets going again, bringing in those uh, elements of getting out into the outdoors, the health benefits there. Uh, which is a very good point, Alvaro. And then a uh, question from Sue. Uh, hi, Sue. Uh, what will be the cues to suggest that golf courses should look to reopen? Perhaps one for, for you, Andrew, from maybe the public health um, policy perspective. Yeah, I think the cues are in advance of the queue. It can be to send information into government about the health benefits of golf and also what is being done to offset any issues with COVID. What would be the clear plan that the Federation at the golf clubs are doing to minimise any sort of risk. So highlighting to governments that golf clubs are ready when the conditions are right and highlighting the overall benefits. And when the benefits outweigh the risk, that's the time. So the cue is when the government say it's good to go and when there's agreement with the government and the National Federation and the golf clubs to go, then it's reasonable to proceed at that time. But I think again, it wouldn't go back completely to normal straight away. You'd be looking at putting the sort of social distancing measures into place. You'd be looking to have hand sanitizer everywhere. You'd look probably to be not gathering in specific spaces. You'd maintain a couple of meters of social distancing and putting those things into place because COVID will be an issue for 2020. So things won't go completely back into normal, but it's about recognizing the benefits, having a clear plan in place and then essentially engaging with the government, engaging with the local government, engaging with the local health authority, and putting that plan in place as soon yeah. as it's good to go. Clubs in Europe in the next you know, coming weeks, for example, it may well be that Austria and some other countries that are showing the peak coming down may be able to open up golf clubs reasonably soon. I know that Italy and Spain are moving towards things, moving in the right direction. So again, we'd have hope for, for these places in coming weeks. But pinch yourselves, you know, golf uh, has proven health benefits and um, we are a sport that can be done with some social distancing. Uh, and if we're innovative and we're prepared and we're lobbying the right people, um, it will be one of the first sports that, that, that will be allowed and a great opportunity to, to get ahead of others. Uh, so there's a, a question from um, uh, Jason Ripley, I believe, uh, asking if the, the PGA body is pushing golf to be restarted. It's, it's difficult for, for us to comment in on individual countries. Uh, Ian might be able to add something to this as well. Uh, just to say that um, we last week we had a, um, a Zoom call with the leadership of most of our PGAs. We have a thing called a leadership forum. And um, we had between 25 and 30 leaders of national PGAs on that call, which was great. And um, I think we are... Firstly, uh, in, in response to uh, Jason's question um, uh, about is the PGA pushing golf to be restarted, as Aston said, it's going to differ from country to country. We've got some countries already playing golf. So uh, Sweden, Denmark, 
Finland, Estonia, I think a number of them are still playing golf. So it's hard for us to put a, a precise answer. What we are collectively doing is providing a statement that will be out next week. And secondly, that uh, making sure we adhere to government guidelines. But then, as I said, when the time is right, providing the, uh, the, uh, some guidelines so that the PGAs in conjunction with the other stakeholders in golf in each country will be able to lobby for, for safe golf in the appropriate way. And as uh, Roger and Andrew have said, including the fact that it can be played safely and it does have both physical and mental well-being opportunities as well. So um, we aren't, in, an, in answer, we're not lobbying. We're not lobbying at the moment, but uh, we are advising each PGA as and when the time is right. Yeah, and we've had sensible conversations with the Scottish government and the UK government and people do recognise the benefits of golf and the health benefits and the economic and the social considerations as well. And I think it's about keeping that conversation up rather than necessarily lobbying because we want golf to be played when it's safe and reasonable to do so. I guess the last thing we want is for there to be a huge amount of COVID about at present, a golf course being responsible for things being passed on. But that time will come reasonably soon. And in answer to Graham Pierce's question, with social distancing being enforced, how many weeks or months do you think it will be before we can teach? I guess the short answer is it depends. It depends what the national situation is. So in the location you are, how much COVID is there? Are there concerns regarding transmission in the local community? What are the local restrictions? What is the local advice? Are they allowing folk to uh, do coaching already as they might be in some countries? subject to social distancing are there ways that you can coach remotely i mean is there an opportunity to do less hands-on work but stuff from a distance of a couple of meters in the first instance before getting back into normal activity the short answer really is that in each country it's completely different if you look at the situation in india compared to the situation in the uk or even throughout europe things are very different in italy than they are in the uk very different than they are in Sweden, etc. So it's not possible to give a clear answer for each question, uh, for, for, for each country. But it's about looking at the national situation, working out what the guidelines are, putting appropriate stuff into place, but also recognising, unfortunately, that COVID is going to be here for all of 2020 and for part of 2021 as well. So things will not go back to completely normal anytime soon. And it's about us working out what we can do What's practical, what's feasible, and what mitigations can we put in place? So that's not to say the lockdown is here completely, but there will be some restrictions in place. And golf is in a better place than many sports because it can be outside. Social distancing can be put in place. Uh, and appropriate action plans can be, can be dreamt up and uh, put yes. into governments or local authorities. There's a question uh, there on medication. Um, I mean, I think immunisation is, is the... Um, would, would be the, if we, if we could come up with a, an immunization, um, that would be fantastic. The trouble is we can come up with an immunization program, then we've up, got to upscale it and for everyone to, to have it. Um, and as Andrew said, we're going to get pockets of this for, for the next year or so. Uh, so um, even the best will in the world, I don't think medication is going to make a huge difference. Hopefully it will make a big a, a difference to those people who are getting seriously ill at the moment and will have less, less deaths as time goes on. There are a number of trials with using drugs for people with mild and moderate and severe 
illness at the present time, but uh, they're going to take a month or two to get any indication um, of, of their results. So um, I think it's going to be a, a, a very moving, a moving feast for the next year. Things are going to be changing regularly. Uh, and I think if golf can get its sort of get a number of different options available, um, they can put them into place uh, when appropriate, depending on um, depending on the situation in 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 the ho- in the country. Absolutely. So a vaccination is no less than a year away, and is probably between twelve and twenty four months away at the best guess. Hmm. In terms of medication, there's not likely to be a medication that completely cures it, uh, but there are likely to be medications that they develop in the next year that make things a bit better. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Um, We've got uh, one of the questions uh, Ian mentioned, um, and then we'll just probably go with the last few questions if anyone wants to get them into the, into the chat area in the next few minutes. Uh, so Ian said, do you think that golf may be opened up before other sports and there, therefore it's an opportunity to recruit new golfers? But I, I think, yes, I think the, opportunity, the, the, the answer to that is yes. And I think if, if, if we can show that golf clubs can adapt, and, and as they did, it, within a few days before the sort of lockdown, suddenly flags were, you know, bunkers were out of play. The, uh, the flag sticks were, were, were being, there were rule, local rule changes. Um, we could change our shoes in the car parks. The, the, the way that they quickly adapted to the new rules means, I think, that, that, that golf has a great opportunity of getting ahead before other sports. And, of course, the lack of tackling, well, most of the time there's lack of tackling, uh, means that we don't have to physically uh, come close to our, our, our opponents. We can keep, keep some distance. So I think we have a really good opportunity of, of getting going. I don't think we should push it that hard because we don't want to push, push it. And as Andrew said, um, come to come to grief, but I think um, people should be reminded of how good golf can be and how it can adapt to to these uh, to, to rules that um, are being set up. Absolutely. So I think that the bottom line is that golf is an outdoor sport. You can do social distancing, so it's far easier for people to get back into golf than an indoor pursuit. For example, an indoor gym or a contact sport like rugby or football. Even so, golf will be well placed to get back before other sports. But to re-emphasize the same point over and over again, you know, COVID is going to be an ongoing issue. And if the governments did nothing about COVID at all, then 60 million lives would be lost. They're estimating somewhere between uh, 50 to 80 million loss of life worldwide if the governments did nothing. And they're looking to limit loss of life to about a million with the actions that are putting in place. So it is really important. So obviously golf is an absolute huge part of what I do in my life and I love it. But I think that this wider health context is something that is, is going to be impacting us all in terms of how we live our lives, what our professional lives are, um, social stuff, economics. It's really profound what's going on at present. And golf is a better place than other sports to respond. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, it will be a really challenging time for the industry. And again, I think responding to MC Cortina Tom has shared that link again, just www.golfandhealth.org for some helpful information. Just before we finish, I just wonder how many people um, left um, have had symptoms that they suspect that they may have had uh, COVID-19. I just wonder whether you put your right hand up with your little finger like this and just say, one, two, three, four, I can't see on the right hand side there. Yeah, that's a sort of a good proportion. Uh, I, I'm absolutely certain my wife has had it in the last week. Um, I've never seen an illness quite like it in, in all my years. Uh, it's, we've got to take it very seriously. Uh, I'm pleased to say that she's, she's making a recovery, but it was the most miserable illness I've ever seen. 
um, and I can see why people who are frail will, will succumb. But um, but anyway, I wish everyone um, um, a, a healthy time over these over these next uh, over the next year until we get over it. Thanks everyone uh, for for joining. Um, actually, we've just seen just one last question from Alan. Hi, Alan. Situation we're going through now is affecting people's economy. Uh, how will this affect the industry? Do you think? I mean, perhaps Roger, how do you see it impacting on the industry in the future? Maybe in a year or two. Well, I think probably Andrew's got got closer. I mean, the, obviously from the from the tall point of view, it's going to be quite difficult, and I think it's going to be difficult to to get going again. But compared with other sports, I think we do have an advantage, and if we work together, we can um, create something which is going to be possible and get our industry going quicker than. Um, uh, quicker than most. Andrew? Yeah, so a public health emergency is, is here and is inevitable. Economic emergency is, is inevitable. There will be a global recession. There's, there's zero doubt on that. But golf is well placed to respond. So there are opportunities there as well as a very significant challenge ahead of us. It's so good that the CPG, the RNA, and various other leading bodies in golf are all looking at this together and working together towards solutions. Yeah, I might say that the the Golf and Health Project um, brought us closer together with the RNA, the World Golf Foundation, um, the CPG, and and other leading organisations. And and I think that coordination, that that ability, you know, on on the medical side to actually have come together before on another topic, um, has really given us a better opportunity to to uh, create a policy for moving forward. So um, um, it's been really good to, to be on the call today uh, with CPG and uh, I look forward to, um, to working with them and others to get us out of this, uh, this hole that we're in at the moment. Uh, just on that question, I think the, you know, there's obviously a lot of PGA pros who are going to be uh, feeling the impact of this significantly, but obviously the whole golf industry is going to be feeling it. And I think as, as Roger and Andrew alluded to there, the important thing is going to be that we support the whole industry and, uh, and we all come together. And I think in times of adversity, that tends to be what happens. We, uh, we heard from um, the chief executive of the PGF Sweden the other day. In their country, they have a daily call between the federation, the PGA, the golf course owners, the greenkeepers, the managers. And I would encourage all countries to do to do similar as well it's definitely a time uh, for golf to pull together right hand back to you Aston just to, to conclude if that's all right firstly obviously thank you big thank you to Roger and, and Andrew for the time today and for the hard work that you've done over the past four or five years on the uh, golf and health project and I would encourage everybody to go and have a look at that link that's been shared um, you know it's, it's great work and we've really made some progress on exactly what golf specifically uh, brings in terms of both uh, physical and mental well-being. Um, so thank you to both of you. I'll hand back to Aston just to uh, wrap up. And Yeah, absolutely. We'd like to say thanks again to Roger and Andrew uh, for their time in, um, today. And we'd also like to thank everyone on the call as well for joining and for participating. Uh, again, we mentioned those resources, golfandhealth.org. Uh, there's an area where you can actually log in and access resources such as images or quotes or videos that you can use in your own marketing uh, to help promote that message. And obviously, particularly at this time, then that could be really useful. 
But apart from that, we wish you the very best of health. We hope everyone is uh, safe and well in your families and colleagues. Uh, and we hope to see you again on one of these Masterclass Series uh, webinars very soon. The CPG Masterclass Series. Find out more at cp.golf forward slash masterclass.